Oh, hi. It's Angela Scanlon here, keeping Graeme's seat warm on the Graeme Norton Radio Show podcast with Waitrose. This weekend, Ori Aduba celebrates the 50th anniversary of the Rocky Horror Show as he returns to the cast for a limited run as Brad Majors. Elizabeth Day brings us friendship tales from her brand new book, Friendaholic, Confessions of a Friendship Addict. We give you a go at rummaging in our basket of eggs in the Waitrose excellent Easter competition. And show chef Martha has Easter treats galore. She's got two classic recipes for us, roast lamb and the very best hot cross buns recipe. Ore, Aduba is in the studio. Morning, you, girl. You entered at 11.11. Oh, did Which I? is like a witchy number. Ooh, I don't know if you're into so that. I feel spooky. like Portia might be into that, your wife. Yeah, what? Because she's a witch. Is she a witch? <laughs> a, a white witch. She hasn't told me yet, but maybe you know something I don't. Um, 11 11. That 11 11 is so good spooky. omen. Good omen. Okay. So listen, it's lovely to see you. So good to see you too. I, it's I been was, a while. It's been quite a while, actually. I was joking that you were limbering up outside in your fishnets. <laughs> <laughs> but to be I, fair, these jeans are that skinny, they could be taken as tights. Still restrictive yeah. in certain areas. Um, how? It's quite. A transformation, isn't it? This role. I mean, you've been doing it for a while, obviously, yeah, so you're quite yeah. used to it. I, I, but I can't, I cannot really properly describe how excited I am to return to the Rocky Horror Show. Um, mainly because it is a huge event. This summer at the Peacock Theatre in the West End, we'll be celebrating 50 years of the Rocky Horror Show. It, it landed in. In 1973, mm-hmm. when Richard O'Brien first wrote the show, so in front of an audience later, of just 63 people <laughs> at much? the time. Since then, it's been seen by 30 million it's already. Crazy. Many of whom have seen you strut your stuff. 30 countries translated into 20 languages. It's such a mammoth show yeah. that ha- holds so much for a lot of people. Yeah, I think. It, do you know what? That's a really interesting point because I went back to watched the guys in Manchester in February mm-hmm. and I hadn't seen them for since I finished the show August last year and I stood at the back with the sound guys and I watched the show for the first time seeing my old family in action and halfway through act two I just spontaneously combusted into tears. Well, you're a bit and of a crier though, are I am and I'm happy to admit it. <laughs> I'm, I'm setting the no, trend. No shaming, Every, no everybody shaming. has wet eyes these days. <laughs> and um, and it was just the fact we went through a lot as a family together. But what for me, I saw for the first time within the audience, the reaction that they get from mm. doing the show. You know, it appeals to so many people in so many different ways and it has over the 50 years that everyone has their own takeaway from it, whether it is being able to really express their individuality, really be who they are, mm. coming just for a party, the music, nostalgia, and all in that one room when everybody is really going for it, I think it bottles the perfect theatre atmosphere. Yeah. And uh, and we get to do that for six weeks in London this summer. So I hope everybody will come. So is it quite raucous then? Because I'm imagining, you know, a lot of people go to the theatre and they, you know, you you put on your best and you sit there and you, you know, stay quiet. I feel like, may, I mean, are we inviting them to get involved or that's uh, not a thing? That, that is the thing. That is... Rocky is the thing for, for getting involved. Yeah. It's a totally interactive experience. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, it's quite unique when you come to watch Rocky because there's kind of this unwritten script for the audience. There are these shout outs after the odd line. There are audience shout outs that have been going back decades. And so we are prepared for basically the unexpected. Okay, so Uh, like gentle heckling. Gentle heckling, (laughs) yeah. Sometimes you know what's coming, sometimes you haven't got a clue. So as a a performer on stage, it's it's kind of... 
trying not to corpse is 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 a task. Mm-hmm. Um, and I imagine like when people are really hyped up for the 50th. And like you said, people do come, they come dressed up. They come dressed as people from uh, from the film that they recognise in the original cast. And so it's a real opportunity to just re- like properly leave your troubles at the door mm. and just come and have a good time. There's yeah. like, apart from that, there's no real rules. Fantastic. We love Don't throw rice rolls. and water at us because it's hard to continue. Okay. That okay. used to be a thing. What? Like they a confetti to, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, thing? Yeah, no, they used to bring um, like water guns oh. and they used to throw rice. That used to be a thing okay. for Rocket and now I think health I mean, and safety flowers maybe. Petals. They might not Petals land would be a nice idea. Yeah. You need a bit of Something you know, gentler. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think it feels, you know, obviously it's 50 years, but for some reason it captures something of this moment right now, that kind of leaning for so many towards self-expression, towards, yeah. you know, kind of really allowing people to be exactly all, all so forms, right. all aspects of yeah. themselves. And it was, it was really ahead of its time all those years ago. And now we're so much better at celebrating individuality yeah. and um i remember in the doing the tour last year and one of the first first times we, i got a, a tweet from a mum whose whose child um was a non-binary mm-hmm. and they said it was the first or coming to watch the show it was the first time they'd ever felt seen yeah. and i was like oh my gosh we're doing something that's life-changing here it seems like a bit of fun because you're doing the time warp and who didn't do the time warp at the school disco yeah, yeah. but when you really get into it when you see what the effect that it has on people that come to watch the show it's mm-hmm. such a great fun it's such a good party but it's also everyone takes away something special for themselves and i think that is magic i mean as a you know as a parent but also as a kid or a teen or whatever whatever stage you're at i think there's always times when you think oh my god nobody has a clue who i am yeah. where do i belong where do i fit in so to have that sense you know that you're on stage and you're allowing people to feel like oh hang on i feel like there might be a place for me is is quite yeah, an amazing it's, it's, responsibility. It's, it's magic. And gift, it's magic. Yeah. And then at the same time, you know, me and Stephen Webb, we get to share a bed together. And Fabulous. I've never felt more at home in a bed with a 38 year old man. I mean, so, everyone's winning. Yeah, no, everybody <laughs> takes a slice of the cake away. Right. <laughs> um, so listen, we were chatting feet. I made the assumption that maybe fans of, of the Rocky Horror <laughs> Show would be, you know, you're clad in fishnets. There's, yeah. I just felt like maybe that would be a thing. We were talking about feet earlier well, yeah, on I in the show. Know, you're I, into I know, the, I know. Okay. it doesn't need context that Great. conversation, but I, I do. I do appreciate the context of the show. I um, I, I haven't met many foot fans. If How that if that makes sense, um, I think there are a lot who do enjoy the stockings and the suspenders and the and and the heels. And actually, there's a point in the show where uh, so my character Brad Majors and, and Janet, played by the wonderful Haley Flaherty, um, the whole story is they arrive at this castle and they undergo this transformation they do a time warp and everything changes and um, there's a point at the show where they have to get into their corset in the heels and they they perform this floor show mm-hmm. and my I, we all go backstage and do a quick change I get a bit more time than some others and I find myself often at, in backstage with my corset and my heels and my suspenders just sort of sat there manscaping <laughs> Just thinking, this is, I like this. I like this a bit too much. So what, you're sitting there manscaping well, as you know, you're waiting? Well, you know, you're just sort of sitting there. I just, I just sort of, I just, I take myself away and I look back at myself and go, you okay. really are comfortable in this moment. Don't, all I need is like a, 
like a cigarette okay. and just to, just to sit back and go back in I'm time. really comfortable here so, so does that feel like the dream because in a way you said <laughs> lots like, of people like that it does feel like, like a that. dream a nightmare nightmares for some of your listeners you said lots of people enjoy it you obviously wildly enjoy it because obviously there'd be a lot of people who knew or know you in a suit you know, pitch side, doing very <laughs> sporty things, right? Yeah. yeah, why does that sound seedier than... <laughs> it's my gift. Than the tights. <laughs> but I mean, so so that was, you know, that feels kind of... It's a change. It's, it's a, a gear change. change. And when I first asked, was first asked about Rocky, it was in lockdown. Rocky was my first show out of... Uh, out of COVID. So it felt like a massive lifeline. And I wasn't sure about it for the reasons that you talk about. And mm. I thought, oh, that's gonna that's not gonna necessarily look the the right way. And then Do you mean the fishnets? The fishnets is maybe not what people are thinking. And then given that thought, I went, actually that's exactly how I want to emerge out of lockdown is wearing corsets <laughs> and suspenders and stockings. And yeah. and and it is it's a it's a wonderful show. I think more importantly than that if there is anything more important than wearing tights, is that um, it's an amazing group. The company, the cast and the crew, are so, I couldn't have asked for a better bunch of people. We went through a lot that time and uh, and they're still still flying the flag on the 50th anniversary tour. They're finishing in Birmingham today. They're in Cheltenham next week. They're then in Stockton. I joined them in Stockton uh, the last week of April and then we start this West End run. Yeah, and okay. so, you know... 50 years of Rocky it's just it's just such a wonderful time to be part of it mm -hmm. like it would have been really awful if I'd finished the show and then not been invited back for the last I would have felt like that kid well, knocking on the door of the party going can I come back in please but is that is that a motivator then for you to do things that feel quite quite unexpected you're like oh, oh I'm keep yeah. people guessing here big time I think that makes life really exciting. Um, yes, I've, 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 I'm trying. It's hard in today's society, but I do try to stop caring as much about other people's thoughts okay. of what you should be doing. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. My mum's the, the easiest one okay. because she thinks, shouldn't you do it again? No, okay. Just yeah. because you said that, mum, I'm going to do something else. The I'm still kind of teenage, <laughs> you, no. teenage kind of fighting against that hierarchy a little yeah. bit. Okay. Um, but no, Rocky, you know, it, it, it surprises a lot of people, mm. uh, but that's what keeps people coming back. And then I guess, look, the, they're surprised, but you, ha you leaned in, even with Strictly. Again, that's a massive gear change from what we were used to seeing you do before. You obviously won it and you know like runaway winner that oh, year it well, felt like it I, was well it was there were others ahead yeah. of us in the pecking order but we it was such an amazing thing to have been a part of mm. um and i think what happened after that for me i remember being on a beach after the final and going what on earth am i going to do now because okay. um because that was so, so unexpected really and i think only a, only 13 other people had ever won strictly at that point mm -hmm. and i thought well i need to make the most of this and um i just really enjoyed being on stage mm -hmm. i always done it when i was a kid but i never considered it as a career and so you know i thought now's a good time to make yeah. a leap and here we are seven I, years later i know still dancing a high heel <laughs> still dancing in a little cuban just a little, i mean this is an edge just a little cuban. six incher to be fair and have the kids because you've got two little ones yeah have they been to see the show uh, they, they. Does well, it feel like that kind of show? I mean, they would be completely oblivious to what's going on. Fine. Uh, Rose, come. We actually took warm up in Bristol okay. once upon a time. So uh, yeah, no, but they're 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 big fans of yeah. you know 
Rose is a big fan of Daddy's show and okay. and uh, so knows where you're off he, to. He and also lovely to be able to, you know, because obviously the to- the aspect of touring when you're going all around the country, lovely to go to all of those venues, mm. but quite nice to wake up and at home. Oh, I big imagine, time! The yeah. West End run. Yeah, no, that's that's going to be lovely for me. You know, I remember walking walking down the West End and going to my first West End shows as a as a kid and and seeing cats and seeing the Lion King and seeing all the, the lights and the idea that you know I'll get off they're the there. train and walk down the strand and go to work um you know it's it's amazing rocky deserves to be amongst all of those big brands those big names on the west end so well, it's lovely so that people, do you are oh you are gorgeous so do you. you thank you honestly it's lovely it's like living the dream kind of thing and your face you're yeah lit up it's lovely lovely to have you in <laughs> chatting about it Ari aduba returns as brad majors in the 50th anniversary of the rocky horror show go to rockyhorror.co.uk that's from the 3rd of may yeah. to the 10th of june nice all right gonna be Can a party yeah yes. are you kidding Okay, I'm going to get me heels. I'll bring my two feet. (laughs) (laughs) The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Elizabeth Day joins me in the studio. For those of you who have been living under a rock, Elizabeth is best known for her Sunday Times bestselling memoir, How to Fail, and her podcast of the same name, which has, wait for it, a staggering 41 million downloads to date. You're not a go, uh-huh, I know. It's pretty fantastic, actually. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me, lovely Angela. So lovely so to, nice see to hang you. out with you on a Sunday morning. I mean, why not? Yes. Green tea? Yes, I've got my green, my trusty green tea with yeah. me. I've gone for a venti because I just venti. feel I deserve a double serving. You do. Whack it into you. Um, I, I feel like everywhere I look, you are. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's so irritating. No, no, it's actually not. You're not irritating at all. But I think there's a kind of sense that there's an overnight, oh, suddenly, <gasps> yeah. you know, there's a kind of sense that, uh, yeah, everywhere I look, there you are. But you've been writing for a very long yes. time. So people will be familiar with How to Fail and with Magpie more recently. But, you know, this this overnight success has been, you know, a while coming. Totally. Thank you so much for saying that because it really is, it makes me appreciate anyone's attention or interest so much more because I had years mm-hmm. building up this career where no one was that interested in my books. I mean, other than my core group of very loyal readers, and I'm forever grateful to them. And yes, they include my parents. Yeah. <laughs> but I, it, it has been a really interesting journey. So I had been a print journalist for the best part of 20 years mm-hmm. and I'd started writing novels. So I published my first novel when I was 32, I think. Uh, and I'd published four novels before I got anything that graced the bestseller lists. Mm -hmm. And then I launched How to Fail the podcast in July 2018 and it changed my life in a way that I could never possibly have anticipated. I'm so grateful for it because it has brought me to a whole new audience. And now I feel very blessed that listeners of that podcast are so supportive, as Mm -hmm. you know, with your podcast. The podcast world, I, I think is so supportive and equitable and kind. Yeah. yeah. And often if people feel that they've got to know you on an intimate basis by listening to you, and I always say anyone who does listen to the podcast does actually know me. That's yeah. actually who I am. Mm-hmm. Because I, I'm sort of stripped of pretense. Yeah. Then they're more likely to take a risk and support your other work and think, oh, well, no, I will buy this book. So I'm very, very grateful. Well, because they know you. And previously it was fiction. Do you think yeah. the How to Fail book, your memoir, was what kind of, oh... Obviously, it 
came after the podcast, so people knew you. And then it was like, oh, okay, I, I feel connected to her in a way that maybe you don't get that connection with fiction. Yes, I mean, maybe. I hope so. It was actually mm. How to Fail the Memoir was the first long-form non-fiction I'd ever written. Yeah. And I never thought I would write like that. And I really enjoyed it. I think partly because my journalistic training mm -hmm. made it seem more accessible and also partly because I didn't have to invent anything because it was just my life. Yeah. You're like, I could <laughs> just look onto the page. Know, yeah. Fine, I don't need a plot line. I was there. Yeah, exactly. So, And also the kind of journalism I'd been doing up to that point hadn't really been first person. Mm -hmm. I'd been interviewing a lot of people. I'd been doing reportage. So it was always about other people. And I'm still very keen that that is the core of all of my work, that it is outward facing and about others. Mm -hmm. But you're right that with fiction, because you are inventing worlds and you're inventing characters, and although there's an emotional truth of your own in there, yeah. in every book, as you would know as an author yourself, the non-fiction How to Fail was the first time that that people got to know me a bit better. And some people liked it, and some people probably hated it. <laughs> and therefore, I'm sorry that I'm all over your airwaves like a rash. No. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> just going to have to get used to it. <laughs> it's fabulous. But that is the thing, I think. It's that kind of, maybe it is that journalistic background where the other person is often your focus. And I think mm. sometimes that ability to relate your own experience to the universal is what makes it so much more accessible. Oh, well, thank you for yeah. saying that. I totally agree, basically. Mm. In short, the purpose of everything I do is connection. Yeah. And this new book, Friendaholic, is about how I became addicted to connection with other people and making them into my friends. Mm -hmm. To the extent that I have only connect tattooed on my wrist. So that okay. is the foundational premise of so much of my work. And I think it's interesting because making that transition from being a print journalist and making it about other people and the first series of the podcast, which came out in July 2018, mm -hmm. I can hear back that I'm nervous about talking too much about myself. And actually, the more the podcast grew, the more feedback from listeners was, actually, we really like it when there's a conversation and we learn more about both parties. Yeah. But there's still a bit of me that, is, that feels ashamed, almost. That I'm talking too it's much not about, about me. myself. Exactly. Mm. And I wonder if that's also partly... Irish so even though I don't sound Irish I grew up in the north of Ireland mm -hmm. and there's a there's a sort of culture there and it's sort of very charming about not getting too big for your boots yeah and not it's not about you pet no you know <laughs> exactly <laughs> sit that. down there now and give someone else a chance <laughs> and so I do think but it also I think it's a it's a good anchor you know sometimes you got to break out of that and be yeah. like okay maybe it's okay if I because in revealing something about yourself and I think that's what you do so brilliantly is you give permission to the other person to also reveal things that they may not have thought they might reveal on the podcast, but they're like, oh, okay. It feels like a safe space and we're, yeah. we're connecting, as you say. I'm not just answering questions. Exactly. And the quickest way to connect is by sharing vulnerability. That's yes. something that I've learned. And I think as women as well, that idea of being nervous to take up space, but also having the skill set to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I think there's a whole generation of women now who are stepping into that space yeah. and understanding that their empathy is what makes them powerful. 100%. Oh, I love that. Now, her new book, Friendaholic, is out. It is wonderful and we're going to talk about it shortly, but there are events, events all around the country. Some of them have happened. Phoebe Waller-Bridge and yourself yes. were in Southbank Centre recently. 
what have we've got coming up? Waterstones in Liverpool, Hexham Book Festival in April, end of April. Um, anyway, there's loads Edinburgh, of Edinburgh, St Andrews. Boom. Yeah, last week of April, I'm doing a little mini tour Henley. of Hexham, Scotland. Oh yeah, Henley, oh, well remembered. Yeah, yes. love that, well remembered. She says as she reads it off the page. Um, but wonderful events. And I think that's another thing that you do brilliantly is make the audience feel very connected with you. They want to ask mm. you questions. To that point, we would like you guys who are listening, if you have any questions for Elizabeth about failure. Yes. <laughs> or, I'm your expert. You know, <laughs> love, friendship, whatever. Yes. Throw them at us. We'll ask her if she hasn't legged it mm-hmm. at that stage. Let's talk about Friendaholic, Confessions of a Friendship Addict. Mm-hmm. I mean, on the scale of addictions, it sounds like quite a nice one. Yes. On the scale of addictions, it probably is one that is less damaging for your health. But mm. there is a serious undercurrent to it, which is the reason I wrote this book is because with the pandemic, as with all of us, my diary emptied overnight. Mm-hmm. And I discovered two things. One was that I missed my truest friends with startling acuteness. Like I I love them so much and they've got me through so much and I miss their physicality and being able to hug them and being able to smell their perfume. But when I looked at my diary, I hadn't been spending the most time with them Mm. because I guiltily said yes to lots of things I thought I should say yes to or I'd made acquaintanceships that I sort of stumbled into and were taking up a lot of my time. Whereas my truest friends, because they're so respectful of how busy I always seem to be, never put demands on my time, never make me feel guilty or obliged to do anything. And I thought, well, that's odd and should change. And why is that? Mm -hmm. And I got to the root of it and realised that I had essentially a codependent relationship with the idea of having a lot of friends. And I go into the reasons why that might be in the book. And Mm -hmm. one of the reasons is, I think, growing up just outside Derry with a very English accent, I never felt that I fitted in, but I really yearned to belong. And one of the quickest ways of fooling yourself that you belong is to try and be accepted as many by as many people as possible to accumulate volume exactly Mm. and I don't want to make it sound that I was just collecting people because I did always get that adrenaline buzz of a connection high when I met someone who we had something in common Mm -hmm. but it became unsustainable and actually being a friendaholic is someone whose physical and mental health relies on that notion that they have lots and lots and lots of people in their lives but actually running around and trying to meet all of those separate demands is exhausting and is scientifically proven to lead to higher instances of depression so at the same time that loneliness affects your health and can be as dangerous as smoking 15 cigarettes a day which is staggering which is staggering and super interesting and also something that i look at in the book Mm -hmm. actually having too many connections can have a negative impact. So what the overcommitment to that and the sense of pressure and obligation and letting people down when you can't inevitably exactly. sustain those. Exactly that. And it often is, uh, it collides with a sense of people pleasing, mm. which many of us can relate to. That yeah. idea that you're only a good person or a good friend if you say yes to everything that's asked of you. Yeah. And you can only understand yourself if you outsource who you are to other people's perceptions of you. Mm-hmm. So it's just a bit of a toxic mix. Yeah. And actually what that does is it leads to you feeling a bit lonely in a crowd. So you can have lots and lots and lots of quote unquote friends, but you can have not that many of them who truly see you for who 
who you are because you've been changing yourself. Well, and I mean, look, that's the age old thing, isn't it? Of the loneliest you'll ever be is surrounded by people and feeling not seen. So I think exactly. the idea of having, so some people can go, I don't have many friends. But if, if you have one or a handful of friends who do actually see you versus a whole host of you, humans who are in your life, but who you're performing for maybe, or exactly not entirely yourself with. You've nailed it. It took me 300 pages of a book to say just that. (laughs) Sorry, do you know what? Tune into my podcast. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Um, You're so right that actually one of the most enlightened ways of being is realising that it's quality over quantity. And there's an amazing professor of evolutionary psychology called Robin Dunbar who's done a lot of work on friendship. And one of the things he talks about is friendship layers, that idea that in your first layer, you might have up to five really key relationships or friendships. Mm -hmm. If you fall in love or you have children, he says that will generally run the risk of costing you two of those intimate friendships. And it's because we only have so many hours in any given day. And it's okay. And actually part of the reason I was so passionate about writing Friendaholic is because I wanted to remove the shame and stigma that we wrongly feel when a friendship runs its natural course. Not all friendships are meant for life and that's okay. And sometimes I think people talk about old friends and when friendships do kind of drift or fizzle or, you know, whether it's a time in life or just a change in humans, we change every seven Mm. years, you know, there is a sense of, oh my God, I'm a terrible person for not being able to sustain that or for having lost that connection. And obviously friendships, they they take work, don't they? Or they take... Feeding, I suppose. They absolutely do. They, Yeah, they take nurturing. Mm. And although we're very practised at that in romantic love, yeah. because as a society, we've paid so much attention to romantic love, it's almost like we've forgotten that friendship needs a similar amount of care, yeah. of, of gardening, if you like. Mm-hmm. And you're so right that we feel like failures and we turn that shame internally if a friendship ends. Yeah. And I certainly did. Mm-hmm. There's a chapter in Friendaholic about being ghosted by one of my closest friends. Friends. And I think sometimes when that happens and someone just disappears from your life yeah. without a word, it's because there isn't that language. Mm. And so if we're conflict avoidant or if we feel awkward saying something or if we feel fundamentally that ending a friendship is a terrible, terrible thing, you know, there isn't that same expectation of romantic love. Well, you're like, oh, well, it, this just isn't really working. So exactly. ghosting is obviously not recommended, but it's kind of, there, as you say, there's a blueprint for romantic relationships starting and ending and working for a period and then not. But for friendship, it does feel like they have got to last forever or you're you're doing something wrong. Yes. And I promise you that if there's anyone listening relating to what Angela just said, it's absolutely fine. Let me reduce that shame for you and that guilt for you. Because the thing that I realised about my friendships that have ended, which I write about in Friendaholic, I now feel great fondness towards them and great love for them because they have forever changed my life. Mm. They've changed my internal landscape. And just because they're no longer an active daily part of my life does not mean that that friendship in and of itself is a failure. Yeah, okay. I love that way of looking at it. Okay, Elizabeth, Amy and Devon has got in touch. I've got a friend, she says, who I've adored for years, but recently he blatantly gaslit his new girlfriend in front of some friends and it's opened my eyes to some more of his bad behaviour. I feel so conflicted about cutting this friendship and sad that he's not who I thought he was. What should I do? 
Oh, Amy, that is such a difficult issue. First of all, kudos to you for noticing that. Like, mm. I think it takes a very strong woman to be able objectively to see something that her friend is doing wrong when it pertains to a romantic partner. And I think don't ditch the friendship straight away. And the reason I say that is because we don't know what he might be going through. And also don't do yourself a disservice because it sounds like already you're turning the blame inwards to you for not mm. having seen what how this friend was acting before. But maybe this is a new thing and maybe there's something going on for him. And what I would say is if you can to sit down and have a loving conversation with him where you are clear, but you lead with love. Mm. And you can even open that up by sending him a quick text saying I love you you mean so much to me I just want to check in with you because I've noticed a couple of things recently and I wanted to know if you're okay do you want to meet for a quick coffee mm -hmm. do it like that but always know that stating your truth is not being malicious lead with love is my is is the sort of basically the flagship thing that I want yeah. to say and try and have that conversation with him and then if he responds in a way that you don't like or that feels emotionally immature and you realise that he isn't going to evolve and he isn't going to be able to own up to his behaviour, then you can look at perhaps ending the friendship. Mm -hmm. And it might just be that you're pressing pause on it for a bit, but don't feel the shame and guilt if you've stated what you feel. And I think that's key because there's so many, we're told, if there's toxic behaviour, cut them out now. Yeah. And actually... We're humans, people make mistakes exactly. and it's offering, as you say, lead with the love, but offering that space yes. for the person to either, you know, explain or justify or just have it highlighted to them. I didn't mean that or that wasn't what I intended. or Exactly that. We don't uh, need to... Exactly. And as someone just quickly who is a bit of a conflict avoidant hedgehog. Same. Okay. <laughs> I have recently experimented with clarity and it's been amazing. And the response from the other person is always really loving. But it's wild, isn't it? You're like, oh, if I just say something directly, they can respond and all of the imagined okay. conversations <laughs> in my head are not a thing. Joe from Eastburn to end. I have lots of individual friendships and find it hard to keep up with lots of different commitments as I don't have a group I see yes. regularly. How do I start to manage my time without letting anyone down? I mean, I'm big on a friend mix. Joe, are you in fact me? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, the, honestly, I'm not just saying this because I have a book out, but I think Friendaholic would really help you because okay. this was totally my situation. I don't have any friendship groups. I think you have to be clear with your loved ones what your metric of friendship is. And for some people it is shared activity mm. and having a day's mini golf together. For some people it is a weekly phone call. For some people it's a regular dinner. My metric of friendship is generosity of spirit. It's the idea that my friends will always think the best of me even if they don't always see me. And it means that when I do see them we can hit relational depth very quickly. And so I would have a conversation with all your individuals because probably some some of them don't expect to see you all of the time and they can just love you from afar for mm -hmm. however long you need. That's my advice. <laughs> also generosity of spirit. I had um, someone on the podcast recently who talked about uh, one of the, the most important things to him in friendship. And he said, you know, everyone says, oh, when the chips are down, that's when you know a good friend. And he was like, mm -mm. for me, 
that's a default. That's an expectation. If you're my friend and things go wrong, I expect you to be there. He's like, the better mark of a great friend is somebody who enjoys your highs, who celebrates the joy and success just as much as holds you when you're down. And I thought, oh, that's actually, and I think Frenemies maybe yes. it, one of your chapters hits on, on that subject really well. Could not agree mm-hmm. more. It's yeah. so interesting. This whole topic I could talk about for Oh my hours, God. Uh, I know you've got to get to the news. We've a show. We've lamb to cook. <laughs> anyway, Elizabeth the Day's new book, Friendaholic Confessions of a Friendship Addict, is out in hard book now and it is divine as are you. Thank you so, so you. much. Thank you. Stay right there. There's loads more fun to come in our excellent Easter competition and with some more Easter goodies, here's Martha. Martha! is in the building. Actually, she's right in front of me. And today we are talking about hot cross buns, not just any hot cross buns, the best (laughs) of the best. Hot cross buns, hot cross buns. (laughs) It's a mouthful, isn't it? It is. I I can't wait to have a mouthful. But how are, so how have you found the best? What are we doing? So I write a column for the Waitress Weekend paper each week where I investigate a new, well, not new, classic recipes mm-hmm. <laughs> and try and work out what makes them good what makes them taste great but also what makes them accessible because okay. th- sometimes there's oh it tastes the best but it takes five days to make and I think well it's not for us uh, realistically pe- not many people are going to make that so okay <laughs> how so can we strip it down like the the special little ingredients or the little methods that we can all try to make the very best exactly and okay. hot cross buns are such a classic there are so many flavours out there as well at the moment like you can get I know you just look, there's a whole shelf just dedicated to hot cross buns in Waitrose. How do you feel about flavoured <laughs> hot cross buns? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because mm. I, I was trying to work out what makes it the hot cross bun. Is it just the cross that gives it the uniqueness and you can stick, you, you know? Me. Well, I think it is just okay. the cross, but obviously the traditional recipe is sultanas and orange yeah. peel and zest, which is what I've gone for because I didn't want people to think she's <gasps> taken the best hot cross bun and she's put chocolate in it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to mess with the purists. Exactly. But I have written a lot of recipes in the past that have been kind of cranberry and white chocolate or oh. triple chocolate for those who don't want a, a fruit in sight. <laughs> okay, fine. Because some people are a bit naughty about fruit in their cakes. Exactly. And I do love the chocolate orange hot cross buns. They're so good. And waitresses have done this thing with the Waitress Weekend paper this week where it says 101 wonderful ways to use a hot cross bun. That's a lot of ways, Martha. I know. People think it's a typo thinking 101. How could that possibly be a thing? On the front cover is hot cross buns with bacon and marmalade in the middle. That is punchy. I know, I'm quite into that. I'm so into that and I don't even eat bacon, but I would because that so looks good. delicious. There's so many and then there's a hot cross bun croque en bouche tower. <gasps> is that the one with the glazed sugar yeah. thingy? That's They've maybe a stuck, proper moment, isn't it? Stuck them together and then put little chocolate eggs. eggs in oh. the gaps and the other one, I'll just say one more. Take hot cross buns, stick them all together with a little bit of chocolate in a big log shape oh. and make it into like a hot cross bun caterpillar cake. Oh! <laughs> Do a little, pipe a little face on the front. Okay, so literally dip the hot, the so hot cross cute, bun in isn't it? melted chocolate. I think they stick them together and then they just pipe cho- with a little bit of chocolate. Mm, a little more refined. It's so cute. But yeah, like 101 that. ideas and some savoury ones in there as well. And some savoury. Okay, I quite like the sweet savoury thing. It's problematic for some people, but I think that, yeah, like sweet and salt popcorn. Oh, the best there is, right? It's got to be done. Even putting just butter on a regular hot cross bun. That's salt sweet butter. Yeah, has to be. Has to be salted uh, butter. Absolutely. You've got plenty of butter to go with yours. I hope so. <laughs> you know me well already, Martha. Okay, so, and I can tell you right now, 
absolutely delicious. I don't know why I was so oh, excited and overwhelmed by the actual hotness of them. <laughs> I think it feels like warm. a real treat. <laughs> warm, absolutely. And like, you know, doughy but airy. I don't know what I should be saying, but I'm into it. I just want to keep eating while you chat. Oh, I'm so glad. It's I... very glazy and delicious to look at too. Oh, thank you. It's got a bit of honey on the top is that to make that it is? shiny. Yeah. Because the sheen is quite nice. And I like how the cross is kind of embedded in mm. rather than rather than sitting on the top. Because yeah. sometimes it can be a bit of a dry, dry, a dry right. crunchy Exactly. <laughs> crunchy cross. That's what I always think. <laughs> I didn't want to say, but it, this is embedded. It's in there. Oh, it's, it's got lush. the moisture. So how do we make this masterpiece? So the first thing I do, because I think the the where a hot cross bun can fall down is dryness, mm. as we were talking about with the cross, but also with the fruit, if the fruit is just a bit unloved and okay. just thrown in there. So we're taking sultanas that are nice and juicy and then some mixed peel and we're soaking it in Earl Grey tea. So oh. it, the sultanas get really plump and they soak up all that lovely flavour, get really strong tea, a lot stronger mm -hmm. than you would drink. Okay. That sits in the tea for about 15 minutes or you can do it overnight if you really love tea. <laughs> overnight, it's got to be overnight. Let like soak. plump, delicious fruit. Exactly. Mm. So that gets soaking. Then we start on our dough. So we're melting some butter and then adding to that milk and water. That's our wet ingredients. Okay. And chuck an egg in there as well. It's a very rich kind of brioche dough, this one. Yeah. And then in the other bowl, we're taking all of our dry ingredients. So you want sugar, salt, bread flour. You want the strong bread flour to so get a lovely gluten network going on in there. Oh, gluten network. And then you want yeast. Make sure your yeast is very much in date and singing because okay. again that's something that will obviously inhibit your oh come on sorry your, your yeast is in date and singing singing well <laughs> <laughs> oh I just realised how weird that was are about to get loud <laughs> um, okay so it, it changes how it reacts if exactly. the yeast is not Fresh. Exactly. I mean, okay. some people, they get optimistic. They go, I'm going to buy a tin of yeast. I'm going to bake every day. And then they bake once and it sits in the cupboard for another year. It's not you... going to do the job. Exactly. And oh. it's such a it's such a shame because you'd only realise that when you bake them, which is about six hours into the process. And, and they are not a waste of time. They are dry. You can <laughs> hop them off the wall. Exactly. So make sure you've got yeast. Either buy those little sachets if you want to make absolutely certain. If you're not going to bake that often. We are combining all of that adding the wet to the dry to make a nice sticky dough. I, if you've got a stand mixer for this, it's the perfect time to use it because the dough is very sticky, but that's what makes it so light and moist. So okay. it gets kneaded until it's nice and soft. Then we're going to cover that. I cover it with a little shower cap. I steal them from hotels when I go <laughs> away because it's so good. It's perfect to just pop over a bowl of dough. Uh, yeah, okay. I was just imagining the ball of dough in the shower in the, cap. Yeah, just, sorry. That makes just more ready sense. For it. So, yeah, just ready for it. You can pull it around the top of the bowl nice. and it seals it. It's a really good way to use them. Mm, really good way. Just not like for a second time. No, just yeah. once. Okay, not after you've washed <laughs> yeah, your no. hair. No, or your feet. Yeah. Okay, great. Fresh. That rises one to two hours. Then we are going to get... I've done mine as like a tear and share hot cross bun mm. because I kind of love how they stick together. I love how they stick together too. With the rise, Martha, is it... Um, are we putting it in the hot press? Oh, is like that a, a thing? An airing the... cupboard? Yes. Is that re... Okay, <laughs> are, we like put... Sorry, are we press. putting it near the boiler? Are we putting it somewhere that to get it warm? Exactly. Extra warm? Okay. That is the best idea. Sometimes I put mine in a tumble... If you've got a tumble dryer... Oh, go on. Put it in, close the door, don't turn it on. 
Justy. <laughs> it's just nice tip. and warm. And it's even better if it's been on recently, so it's hot in there. Okay. And it kind of just is a nice contained environment. Okay, so but not the microwave. Well. Don't get any ideas. I wouldn't recommend the microwave. No. Not as much. Okay. <laughs> so once it's risen, it's doubled in size, separate it out into little balls. I'm putting them into a kind of, uh, what do you call it, a rectangular cake tin mm-hmm. so they stick together. But if you want them to be individual, go for that. Cover them with a tea towel. Let them rise again for about an hour until they're nice and puffy. Then we're drizzling over this cross, and the cross is just water and flour. So it's not not the most tasty thing, but it's classic. You need it. It has that that symbolism. It looks brilliant on the top. So you drizzle that over the top. They bake in the oven for 15 to 20 minutes, and then when they come out and they're nice and warm, you brush them with honey. They come out looking a bit dull, but as soon as you brush them with honey, they completely come to life, Mm. and they become glossy and beautiful. Let them cool down a little bit, and then... Tear and share away. Go for gold. How do we feel about toasting a hot cross bun? Oh, it's got to be done. It does, doesn't it? Unless, well, these have just, well, I baked these this morning and then bought them hot on the train with They're me. still warm. So they're They've still been in a warm. shower cap all morning. <laughs> <laughs> They've been getting ready all morning. Um, they're still warm. So I would probably have these just as they are. But as soon as they're cold, I would then toast them because toast. you need that you need that little melt from mm. the butter. And aside from butter, obviously we've seen on the front of the paper, the Waitrose paper, bacon, marmalade. Yes. Are we jam? Like, just go for gold, really? You can. These are quite sweet, so I probably something savoury like bacon is brilliant, okay. or something like something like a salty nut butter. Offset the honey. Something like that mm. would be lovely. Well, I just did a little shoulder. <laughs> oh, almond butter. <laughs> that's, ooh, that's what I'm having for, for my lunch. Thank you so much. They are absolutely delicious. Now, as you know, all the recipes, past and present, can be found in the Graham Norton with Waitrose Hub on the Waitrose website or waitrose.com forward slash show chef. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Okay, Martha Carlson's in the studio with a legulam. Oh, it smells delicious. Oh, thank you. It's got that <laughs> celebratory smell about it, It does, it? <laughs> doesn't it? Because I guess, you know, Easter, you think chocolate eggs, legulam. <laughs> you do. In whatever order you choose. <laughs> so why lamb at Easter? So Easter is, do you traditionally have a big kind of family meal mm-hmm. to celebrate kind of Easter, resurrection, all of those things. Okay. So lamb is traditional for Christians to eat at Easter because mm. it represents the Lamb of God. But okay. it's also really delicious. So I can imagine lots of people celebrating Easter would and enjoy a little little centrepiece. A little centrepiece. And also it's a seasonal thing, isn't it? You can kind of see, you know, at this time of <laughs> the year. I mean, I was going to say, you can kind of see them <laughs> jumping around in fields. It's got that, got that spring feel about it's got it. It's that lovely woolly look to it until it's on your plate. Um, okay, so what... Um, what are we doing with this lamb? I was alerted to the fact that there was pesto because I thought mint sauce, which, you know, some people go for, there's different variants of that. But a mint pesto now is blowing my mind. I know, I'm really excited about this mint pesto because I think I love mint sauce, but mint sauce often is quite sweet. Mm. And of all the meats, lamb is probably the sweetest in its natural flavour. So it sometimes seems a bit counterintuitive to add sweet sauce to a sweet meat. So this Mm -hmm. pesto is lovely because it's really zingy, quite salty from all the parmesan, loads of herbs going on. A little acidic. A little acidic, bit of lemon in there, so it lifts it all together. I'm sort of hit my microphone. Okay. In my it's exciting, Martha. I'm with you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's got this lovely pesto all over the top. This is an Ed Smith recipe. He okay. runs a great food blog and writes loads of lovely seasonal things, and mm-hmm. this is a, a really good one. So we're going braised leg of lamb. Yes, we are. What does that mean? <laughs> so <laughs> I'm exposing myself. <laughs> so lamb is one of the most expensive meats, so if you're cooking it, you want to make sure 
you're going to do a good job. You don't want it to be dry. You don't want overcooked. And braising is a great way of cooking. You're going to avoid any dryness because you're essentially cooking that lamb in a braising liquid, which is full of bay leaves. It's got white wine in there, garlic, and that kind of... Baths, bathes the lamb. Okay. So, the lamb, so like not the lamb. boiling it. So not boiling it. So no. it roasts for a little bit. I'll yeah. tell you in the method later. But okay. it goes roasts for a little bit, and then yeah. it gets kind of submerged in this lovely braising liquid, which means it's never going to lose moisture. Lovely, it's be lovely. You want it to fall off the bone, oh, don't yeah. you? Oh Delicious. yeah. Delicious. And then we're doing spuds. I just threw those you got in it. as an extra. <laughs> Rude, like but thank you. Just presenting you a leg of lamb on its own wouldn't have maybe been the nicest thing to eat at 11.40. I mean, I'm here for it, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Trying to finish the lamb before the end of that song. It is glorious, Martha. Oh, thank you. Like, so good. So caramelised and then there's the acidity in the pesto. Delicious. Delicious and quite a bang of garlic in there as well. <laughs> yeah, there's a there is a whole bowl of garlic in there, but every good recipe has every that. good recipe, <laughs> every good roast certainly has one. So how do we make that? Is it hard? Because I would think if I'm having family around, the timings, you know, lamb is such a grown up thing to master mm. in my head. Is this? A tricky one. It's actually really straightforward. It just takes time. So you've got to be a little bit organised, get ahead of yourself because it's in the oven for quite a while. Mm -hmm. But whilst it's in the oven, that's always quite a nice feeling because you're like, right, it's done. Now just get together, throw together a pesto, make your potatoes or if you're having couscous, whatever you're making to go with it. And then you can get your lamb out at the last minute and hopefully it'll be ready. Okay. So there's like stages rather than a mad frantic run exactly all over the shop yeah that's how I cook um okay so go on so tell us tell us all we're going to start with our leg of lamb this is a big I've got a waitrose whole leg of lamb they've got a third off promotion at the moment so it makes it a little bit more affordable but you take your whole leg of lamb rub it with a little oil and lots of salt because it draws out some of the moisture and that's going into a really hot oven about 230 degrees mm-hmm. for 20 minutes just to get that fat nice and crispy and it's a kind of render all on the outside Sorry to interrupt you. I saw somebody on Instagram the other day uh, with a hairdryer blowing the skin of, uh, I think it was a ham, a to try and make something. the crackling really crispy. Is that a thing? I've never seen a hairdryer in the kitchen before. I mean, that is taking it to the two extremes, but okay. dryness is important it's when you want to get for. that crispy bit on a meat, particularly okay. with crackling, but with lamb, it's a bit more forgiving, so Fine. a bit hot of salt oven will do. do. <laughs> You'll be pleased Leave your to hairdryer know hot oven will do. <laughs> Um, once it's been in 20 minutes, we're going to take it out, turn the oven down to a low temperature, it's about 150, and then we're going to put it in this braising liquid, which is literally white wine, mm-hmm. water, a couple of bay leaves, and then take a whole bulb of garlic, cut it in half, and then submerge those two halves in. So you want it in a roasting tin, which is almost the same size as the lamb, so you're not having to use gallons and gallons of liquid. <laughs> so Because you want it to kind of half cover the yeah, lamb? Yeah, you want it to come about halfway up, and then we're going to make this tinfoil tent over the top seal it really tightly because the steam from the liquid is going to cook that meat whilst it's baking then it goes into the oven for three and a half hours it's a nice low and slow but that's where you get that lovely tender melt in the mouth whilst that's doing its thing you want to make your pesto now pesto is such a great sauce to make from scratch because you just get flavor like Mm. you can't you can't find in a jar yeah so this is actually a mint and parsley and lemon pesto and it uses almonds instead of the pine nuts which is a great tip because they're much cheaper and you can make pesto to your heart's content and also (laughs) pine nuts i find if you have them use them 
and then leave them open for a little while. They go off much quicker than most nuts, don't they? They do, yeah. They've got a really high oil can- mm. content. But almonds work really nicely. So they yeah. retain their crunch, which is really nice, with the rest of it. So you want to blitz all your pesto ingredients together. There's no garlic in the pesto because there's okay. so much garlic in the lamb. We're covered <laughs> on the garlic front. So we've got olive oil, parsley, mint, and that goes in with some parmesan, lemon zest. Blitz it all together or pound it in a pestle and mortar until mm. it's nice and kind of green in colour, really vibrant. And then once your lamb comes out of the oven, leave it to rest for about 20 minutes and then shred it apart using two forks. It should really fall off the bone at this point. Put it on a big platter, serve it up with your pesto. It's a really good one. So almost pulled pork the way you're serving it. I think that's the nicest way to do it because mm. you can, you could carve it and slice it, but by this point, because it's so melty and tender, yeah. it will kind of fall apart as you cut it and you'll end up with really tiny little strands. Mm. So I would say two forks is the way to go and it's a lot easier. A lot easier and also feels just a bit more modern, doesn't it? It's pulled lamb, guys. It's a, it's a thing, okay? It's a thing. If you don't know about it, you will. Also, it's that traditional mint. The parsley is so low. I think parsley is underrated as a herb. It's a whole segment. Um, but it's that punchy, gorgeous green colour that really brings that dish to life as well, doesn't it? Exactly. You need something that's really going to... Yeah, make the plate come to life and the pesto really does that. And it's got enough of the traditional elements to keep the more traditionalists in the family happy. Exactly. And as you say, the modern elements to make it a little bit fresh. Keep us a little bit spicy. Okay, well, I love it. I'm going to scoff it off during the next song. Head to waitrose.com forward slash show chef to see all of the recipes prepared by Martha. And you can also check out the recipes on our social at Virgin Radio. And they're all over your socials too, Martha, aren't they? They are. Fabulous pictures too. Onwards we go to the Waitrose Excellent Easter Egg Competition. I've got three listeners waiting in the wings. That was a cluck. (laughs) So they're going to get a chance to win a prize ranging from luxury Easter eggs to a £250 voucher to spend in Waitrose. Nicola in Alexandra Palace, how are you? I'm very good, Angela. How are you? Good. What are you up to this Saturday, Sunday? Well, I've already been out for a, a lovely walk with my little pooch Finn, oh. uh, who decided to jump in a very big puddle. Of course. Um, so, yes, I had to give him a little scrub, which was fun. I love it. And, so, is it an outdoor scrub or do you hose him down in the bath? Uh, I did an outdoor, but I did fill um, the sprinkler with hot water, so oh. it wasn't absolutely. So I'm not a horrible person. No, I knew. I had visions of Finn in a bubble bath, actually. <laughs> you can tell by you the softness in your voice. Right, are you confident about winning something from our giant eggs today? Well, I'm very excited. Oh, beautiful. To be to this exquisite presenter, <laughs> Angela. So uh, if, if you could make it happen, it would be lovely. Well, listen, you sound like a mad joke. I hope you win. Um, OK, so <laughs> traditionally, Nicola, what is yes. the Friday before Easter weekend called? Good Friday. Oh, is she right? Oh, you're right. Beautiful. Okay, so Martha is going to stir around our giant basket of eggs. And you are going to, I mean, the stirring is irrelevant, actually. You're going to choose a number (laughs) from one to five, Nicola. Do you have a lucky number? Um, Let's go with four. We're going with four, a nice even number. Got it. Martha's going to crack her open here. Let's have a go. See what we've got inside. What's inside? It is egg number four, a trio of hot cross buns. 
So you've got the white chocolate and lemon ones, the spiced apple and the richly fruited ones. Mmm, lovely. (laughs) Nicola, we recommend some bacon in there and marmalade. We do. You can spice up your hot cross buns. Thank you so much. All right, lovely. Thanks, ladies. Have a lovely day. Ian in Maidenhead. Good morning, Angela. Good morning. Where are you? You sound like you're at the top of a tower or somewhere a little... <laughs> Where? Out... Are you outside? No, no, I'm not oh. outside. I'm, I'm, I'm at home, but the signal's not great where I am. So you're shouting so we can hear. <laughs> I love it. Thank you much. <laughs> are you having a roast today, Ian? Yes, and... I am. I'm having roast pork today. Ooh, roast pork. Yeah, Crackling. Yes, I've got I've got everything on the go. Good. Have you whipped out the hairdryer? No, no, not yet. No. Okay, <laughs> for the crackling that is. Okay. <laughs> Shall we move on? Are you ready for your question, Ian? Yes. Okay. What sort of buns do we traditionally eat to celebrate Easter? Uh, is it hot cross buns? Is it hot cross buns? Yes, it is. Okay, so number four is gone, Ian. So you've got one, two, three or five. Which egg do you choose? Uh, Let's go for number three. Number three. I like number three as a number. Number three. The the £250 voucher from Waitrose is still up for grabs. It's in there somewhere, isn't it? Let's have a look. Maybe it's this one. Maybe it is. Number three. Lucky number three. Open it up. It is... Egg three, Heston from Waitrose, the chocolate dabbit. The chocolate Which, dabbit. If you need an explanation, it is a, a chocolate rabbit that also, as an optical illusion, looks a bit like a duck. So you have to decide oh, <laughs> what it is. Oh, it's like the dress. Is it pink? Is it blue or exactly, gold? Exactly, but made of delicious fair trade dark chocolate. Yumptious, Ian. Get your chops oh, around brilliant. that. Thank you so much. I'll enjoy that. Thank you. (laughs) Happy Easter. Right, we're moving on finally to Neil in Wilshire and that £250 Waitrose voucher is still up for grabs. Okay, Neil, are you feeling lucky? Hello there. Yeah, no, not really. No, not really. (laughs) Have you been priming? There's a few people doing exercises, a bit of rowing. We've had running. Are you a Sunday morning exerciser? Uh, normally, no. but not today. I've not just been pottering in the garden. I love a potter, I have to say. So were we planting yeah. bulbs? Yeah, uh, yeah, first dailies. OK, lovely. Do you do dahlias, Neil? Um, I, well, I'm just merely the helper. I sort of, this my wife does it. Um, fine. I've, I've, no, I've no knowledge, yeah. It's That's like absolutely that. fine. You need one of them as well. Right, <laughs> let's hope you have a bit of knowledge about Easter eggs. We've got a question for you here, Neil. Traditionally, okay. what are the Easter eggs we give to each other made of? It's a really tricky one now if you need to confer or just have a little think. Chocolate. <laughs> Chocolate it is indeed. Okay, so three and four are gone, meaning you have eggs one, two and five to choose from, Neil, with that £250 Waitrose voucher still up for grabs. What are you going to go okay. for? Uh, number... There's just three. Five. five. Let's go for five. Number five. Come on. Let's Come on. have a look. Okay. What's it? it could be a leg of lamb. It could be chocolate eggs or it could be the voucher. What have we got, Martha? Are we ready? 
We've hit the big time. <gasps> it is a 250-pound weight training. Yes! Beautiful. <laughs> Third time lucky. They'll sort you out with a few eggs for Easter. Oh, it's amazing. I, I, to be honest, my lucky number is number one, and I thought, they're too obvious. Oh, listen, <laughs> follow your gut, Neil, every time. Well done. That's brilliant. Thank you ever so much. That's a mouse my day. I've been Angela Scanlon on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Thank you so much for listening. I've had a great time being with you. Graham is back and we'll have his show regulars, Graham's Guide, Show Chef Martha, and loads, loads more. In the meantime, I'll speak to you soon. Lots of love. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.